Welcome to the Hope Revolution messages. You'll be able to find our sermon podcast at hoperevolution.church forward slash sermon, as well as all other podcast players. We hope you enjoy this message. We're continuing our series on Acts today. Tanya left us last week in dire straits, in a bit of a tough spot, where Stephen had been stoned, the church was being persecuted and scattered. It was, it was a place of a fair bit of upheaval. Often, when we're looking at things, we don't see the obvious thing that in hindsight we recognise. Things that are happening right in front of our eyes, that because we're focused on some aspects, we actually miss a bunch of other things that are there. And I, I'm convinced today that there is absolutely life in the Word of God for us. I think God's Word has life for us today. And yet, there's aspects of what we're going to be unpacking today that I think we miss. I think we do, like this illustration, we actually miss when we read God's Word and when we reflect on our own lives. Okay, we're going to read from Acts chapter 8. Starting at verse 4, and we're going to go to 25. It's a fairly big slab, and there's lots and lots in it. Yeah, let's let's get into it. So remember that the church has been scattered and persecuted. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralysed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. A man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years. Amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptised Then Simon himself believed and was baptised. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, May your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. 
Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts. For I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, that these terrible things you have said won't happen to me. After testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. As I said, there's a lot in the passage. What's, what's something that stood out to you? Yeah, the thought that someone could buy that spiritual power. Yep, yep. Mm. Peter was unnecessarily harsh. Yep, interesting. Yep. Anything else that stood out? Yeah. That even after the the death of Stephen, the persecution of the church, they were still out sharing the gospel. That was probably the first thing that stood out to me. The bookends of this is the spreading of the good news. Wherever they were, they shared the good news of Jesus and the kingdom of God. That's great. That's actually Yep, yep, it doesn't actually mention what happened. Maybe God will forgive you, yep. Yeah, interesting idea. Yep. We could get into a theological discussion about that, but... And verse 8, it's like there was great joy in the city. They're like, hang on, this is not just a Jerusalem thing. Yeah. This is like... Samaria. This is other places too. Hey, this is excellent. Bring it on. It's, it's, it's moving. And there's an interesting little clue there that Tanya didn't actually unpack, but the God's fruit from a persecuted church, was a growing kingdom. Stephen never saw it, but the fruit of the persecution was God was doing good things still. So much good stuff. You may not be aware, but parts of this passage have actually brought a lot of pain and division and bondage to believers in the church. There's there's a line in here that says, and this is not the, the theme for the day, but it's important just to point out. Verse 16 says, Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them, they had simply been baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. The idea that, and it's, and it's quite clear scripturally, that there's, there's a difference between baptism of the Spirit and being baptised in water, because they happened at different times here. Now, unfortunately, when we look at scripture, sometimes we can, we can have a distorted view on how things look. And you can take things out of context and you can take things in different ways. And it's really important to understand that what we focus on dictates what we see. I'm told, and I don't know if this is true, but I'm told that when you look at a photograph that was taken at an event you were at, the first thing everybody does is looks for themselves. And, and often when we read scripture, we can read things and look for the things that we want to see and not see the things that are actually there. Often we can look for things that connect with our souls, that make us feel good, that connect with who we are and our identity, and we can actually miss what God is doing in the picture. 
And unfortunately, that verse is a little bit like that. We can focus on the fact that Peter and John, the gurus, came and laid hands on people and the things that happen that we want to attach ourselves to. And yet when you look at when Jesus was baptised, no one laid hands, no one did anything. In fact, it was a guy, stinky guy in the back blocks of nowhere that didn't want to even baptise him in water and yet the Holy Spirit came down on Jesus like a dove. And later in Acts we see that Peter is praying and the Holy Spirit falls on a bunch of people and then they get baptised. We can, we can sometimes focus on parts of the story that create ideas in our head that we want to create. And as I said, it, it actually, in the, it, in the church, it actually can cause a lot of division and hurt when it's focusing on the us parts and not the God parts. So what's some God parts of this passage? Lives were transformed. There was, there was joy. God was fulfilling his promise. He said... Repent and be baptised and you will, you will have the Holy Spirit. It happened. He made it happen. The apostles had a really healthy perspective. What did they do? They prayed. They didn't put themselves on a pedestal. They went and they saw that it wasn't fulfilled and so they went, God, can you do what you, what you do, what we know you're capable of doing? What's God's part of the picture? So, so valuable. But today, I want to unpack the story of Simon the Sorcerer. We often uh, label people by their failings. We've got, you know, the ten lepers. We've got Zacchaeus, the tax collector, or the little guy. There's, uh, often we, we put people in light... Doubting Thomas is another one of their failings. But this guy is a very fascinating guy because he had a lot of power and influence, but it says he used to do these things. So it implies that he stopped. And why did he stop? It's because he saw the signs and wonders and the message that Philip was sharing. And he too believed and was baptised. And he continued to follow Philip. So he was being discipled. And he was there when Peter and John came. So he was obviously was attending their meetings or, or their gatherings or whatever was going on. He was part of This is not Simon the Sorcerer. This is Simon the Christian. How we would describe a Christian is exactly this person. He's a guy that has turned from his old ways. He's been baptised and believed. He's being discipled and he's meeting with believers. And he actually goes one step further. Because he sees the value of what they're doing. And he's happy to pay to participate in the ministry. Has anyone paid to do any Bible college? Yeah? 
Anyone paid to buy instruments so that they can worship lead? Has anyone... He sounds like a modern-day Christian. And we have got so used to modern-day Christianity, I think we actually miss how much we are like Simon. We struggle to identify our sin in the picture. He didn't see it. He didn't see the failing of his perspective. In fact, if he was a modern day believer, he would have great ammunition to justify what he was doing. I'm I'm paying, I'm giving money to the apostles. Isn't that a good thing? I'm receiving a gift that I'm going to use for ministry. Isn't that, he, he says, so that I can impart the Holy Spirit to other people. It looks like he's doing the right thing. And yet, Peter, as Jim points out, is ruthless with him. Because he's blind to his sin. I believe that we've actually got a real challenge as Jesus followers, particularly in the Western church. I'm not just talking about hope revolution, I'm talking about the Western church. We are at risk of creating our own religion. We are at risk of creating our own religion because we want to accept the gospel of Jesus, as Simon did, but we also want to hold on to the things of the world. We want to create this hybrid where it's a bit of this and a bit of that. And we're okay with it. We've resolved in our minds or in our hearts that, that this, this balance is acceptable. My anger got a bit out of control, but I had a good reason. Jesus got angry in the temple, didn't he? So maybe I'm allowed to get angry too. I can't forgive them. But you'd be the same if you knew what they did. With all my other commitments, time for God is just, it's just a struggle. It doesn't really fit in. I was completely right and I received counsel and someone else agreed that I was right. So I'm justified in standing my ground. They were clearly wrong. And until they apologise, I'm having nothing to do with them. I know there's areas of my life that aren't good, but compared to so-and-so, I'm a bit of an angel. These are all things that we say in our hearts and sometimes out aloud that we're okay with. Just think about Jesus final day before he went to the cross. He's in front of Pilate being accused of something that he hasn't done. And what's his response? Nothing. Don't you know that the gospel is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
This idea of an eye for an eye is not the gospel. This idea of, of being okay with our pride, with our unforgiveness, with the bitterness in our heart, being, being comfortable with that and saying, I've got a good reason for those things to exist. God has a good reason to kill us all, but he doesn't. The gospel is different to the way the world is wired. We can't have the world and the kingdom. They don't fit together. There are two beautiful things in this passage that I think we do not see, especially as Western Christians, especially as people who carry pride like it's okay and who justify it. There's two absolutely beautiful gifts that we don't see because we're distracted and don't want to see it. The first one is Peter's rebuke. It is a beautiful gift. It is a blessing. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're like me, I wouldn't have responded well to Peter's rebuke. I would have arched my back up, got my prickly edges out, and I would have justified myself to Peter in my heart and probably verbally as well. Who are you? I've heard stories about you. I know you're not a perfect person either. I know there's things about you that, that I, could, I could pick on. What are you talking about? I'm a new believer. I've changed my ways. You could very easily see yourself do that, but there is a blessing in being told, being shared, being revealed when there's sin in your life. That is not a bad thing. That is a blessing. We'd get defensive. We'd be offended to our own detriment. Proverbs 12.1 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. Like, that's pretty clear. That's pretty blunt. In Jim's uh, word, excessively so. But I would argue that this is an absolute blessing. And I think for us, there's something for us to learn here about receiving rebuke. The reason we struggle to receive rebuke is the very reason we need rebuke, and that's our pride. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. And the second thing is, is Simon's response. Simon's response is actually pretty cool. He says, please Pray for me that these things don't happen. Now we just get one line. We don't know whether he repented and turned from his ways. We don't know the rest of the picture. But he's starting off in a really good spot. He's starting off with a, with a momentum in the right direction. There is something wrong in this picture. He recognises what the rebuke was about. He can identify that. 
and, and we can see momentum in that direction. We, we don't know whether they prayed for him. Um, we don't know whether he changed his ways and some things that had crept in from his old world of the power and influence that he had that clearly was in his heart. Um, we have no idea. But the two beautiful things we miss in this picture is the beauty of correction and the beauty of receiving that correction and acknowledging brokenness. This is the gospel. That while we were sinners, when we didn't have our stuff together, when we were broken, God reached out. He didn't say, ignore your brokenness. He said, repent. Acknowledge your brokenness. And I will release you and free you and give you new life that you don't even deserve. It's amazing. But I want us to be careful. Because when we look at this picture, we can fall into a little trap. Yes, I can relate to Peter. There's a lot of people that I can see, see their brokenness and their sin. My mission's going to go out and fix them all. It's, it's easy to do. We want to be Peter in the story and not Simon. We want to point out all the brokenness that we see in people's lives and the irritations and the, the failings and the... That's a no-brainer. God sees that. He knows that. Again, look at Jesus as a model. How many times did he go round interrupting people about their brokenness? Very, very, very rarely. People approached him and asked questions, just as Simon did with Peter and John. They didn't walk into the room and start telling Simon, you've got this problem and so-and-so, you've got this problem, I see this in you. It's actually Simon that initiated it and they responded to him. And absolutely, if someone invites you to speak into their lives, be honest. Bless them. That doesn't give us permission to run around telling everybody what's broken about them. Imagine if God did that to us. I think, um, yeah, we'd be pretty discouraged. So be careful. You're not Peter. You're probably Simon. And understand and, and realize the gospel picture that is in this passage. This is a gospel story. The God story here is that a guy's life was being transformed and he was going through the pain of the discipling with a possibility of freedom. He'd heard the gospel, he'd responded to the gospel, but he was carrying some baggage that wasn't his to carry, wasn't part of his new life, wasn't part of the freedom that God had for him. And in this conversation, in this interaction, that was revealed to him and he was invited to change. That's the gospel story. That's what we carry. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. 
Why was Simon so harsh? Because he understood this concept. Don't fool yourselves. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? However, that's not the whole picture. 1 John 1.9 says, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Do we pretend there is no wickedness? Absolutely not. There is wickedness. But God in his mercy cleanses us from all wickedness when we ask for forgiveness. This picture is a beautiful picture. This picture is a picture of hope and of life. But you can't hold life and death at the same time. You can't have sin and freedom at the same time. The reason that we have the gospel, the reason that God is merciful and gracious and loving towards us is because he has a purpose and a plan that is good. And our sin's not part of that picture. The gospel is he has provided a solution to that. And we need to trust that solution. We need to recognize that our sins are forgiven, absolutely. But we also need people, we need to see the parts of the picture that we don't like looking at. So what's the takeaway? Pay attention. Pay attention because God so desires you to have the fullness of life. That's why Jesus died. I want to keep coming back to the gospel. This is good news. The good news is that there is no reason for us to live that way that we used to live. No reason for us to feel condemned because Jesus has provided a way through. There is no condemnation. But the new life that you are called to live is a life that's free from sin. As we, as we move into this year, I really want us, our culture to be one that treats sin the way God treats sin, sees sin the way God sees sin. I don't want it. It's yuck. Am I perfect? Absolutely not. Am I expecting by the end of the year to be perfect? Absolutely not. That's why the gospel exists. Because the expectation is not perfection. But I want to pursue. I want to hunger and thirst after righteousness. I want to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I want to value what is good. Good. 
I want to invest in what is good and I want to leave the old ways behind. There's scripture after scripture that talks of letting go of those things that hinder us and pursuing the things that God has for us. If you are invited into somebody's life to speak life into them and you tell them it's okay to to hold on to their sin, you're actually deceiving them. You're not helping them at all. You're leaving them stuck in a position of having this distorted picture of, of freedom and bondage in one picture. And if you, and this is more important, if you have someone that you know loves you, speak into your life. I'd really encourage you to just go to God and say, hey, is there any pride in here stopping me from receiving? Is there any, anything that's holding me back that this person is loving me through this hard space of pointing something out. There is beauty in this picture that I want us to see today. The beauty of rebuke, the beauty of forgiveness of sins, the beauty of a full life in Christ that is ours. I just want you to spend a moment. You may even have things that someone's pointed out to you come to mind. There may be things that in the last few days or last few weeks or last few months that someone said to you that you pushed back on, that you went, don't want to hear it, don't want to know it. Maybe there's things that you felt the Lord said to you that you said, not now, Lord, too busy, Lord. Just spend a moment and check. And it doesn't mean you have to solve it today. But what I would encourage you to do is to say, God, sin is not good for me. I want to pursue. I want to head in the direction, just like Simon the Christian did. I want to move in that direction. We don't know the next chapter, but we want to posture ourselves in a way that says, God, I want what you have for me, first and foremost. Just pause for a second. Lord God, I want to thank you that you, everything that you do is for our good. 
I thank you, Lord God, for the miraculous ways that you move in our lives. That you are the strength in our weakness. That you forgive. That you're so merciful and gracious towards us. But Lord, today I want to thank you for your correction. I thank you that you don't leave us in our place of not knowing, not understanding, but you so gently lead us to still waters and green pastures where our soul is restored and renewed. Thank you so much that you reveal the things that are holding us back, bogging us down, twisting our thinking. Lord, I pray today that you will give us a new spirit, not one of pride, Lord God, but one of desiring, pursuing, and hungering after your righteousness. Lord, I thank you so much for your spirit that leads us in that. I thank you so much for a community of loving, gracious people that accept us as we are. For the encouragement, for the spurring on, for the nurturing, for the patience. And for the discipling too, Lord. Lord, I pray you would renew our spirits today. Refresh our spirits today. And Lord, help us see with all the distractions, with all the things around us, Lord God. Let us see the picture that you are painting, the things that you are doing, the good, good things that you have for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. One thing I believe God has challenged me on and it plays into this in a counterintuitive way. I can very easily get fixated on things that are broken, things that are not working, things that are not how they're meant to be. And, um, and I can justify it because God does too. But I think for me this year, and you'll probably have this theme, you'll be sick of it by the end of the year, I suspect, but I'm not apologetic about it is that if God is a good God and he is present, then there is good in the present. And sometimes I can get easily discouraged and distracted by the things that aren't good. And yet I think, just like in this passage, there is good for us to see, there's good for us to seek, and there is good for us to seed. 
Does that make sense? To observe and to notice, to pursue and to plant. And that's something that this year is something that I definitely want to have resolve in, in pursuing. When I read God's word, when I interact with people, when I'm in circumstances that are yuck and circumstances that are fantastic, what's the good that I see? What's the good that I'm seeking? And what's the good that I'm seeding? And, and I think as much as something like rebuke is not something we delight in, there's good to see, there's good to seek, and there's good to seed in it. And so I really want us as a community to see the good that God's doing because he is present and he is good. And if those two things are always the case, then there's something always good to see in the picture. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions or feedback, please email us at hello at hoperevolution.church.